Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. It is an absolute honor to be up here tonight, and I thank you, Pastor Donovan. Don't we have the best pastor in the whole world? Amen. We love you guys, so thank you so much. Turn to the person next to you and tell them the best part of your day. What was the best thing that happened to you today? Just one thing. Maybe you kind of had a not-so-good day today, but try to come up with at least one thing. It's died down, so I guess you guys got that out quick. You were ready. You had a good day. That's awesome. So tonight, we are going to kind of do a little book study, do a little story time. It's going to be a mixture of things, but most importantly, the Lord's going to speak to us tonight And he led me to a very specific passage, gave me a very specific word. And while it's going to be a reminder for all of us tonight, it's going to speak directly to someone here. So I'm excited what the Lord is going to do. So I'm going to start off with a story because I like stories. I love to hear about cool things going on. I love to get my attention grabbed. So I'm going to tell you a story about Alexander Papadaurus. All right. And now if I go into my VBS mode, if I start getting super animated, if I tell you to say something to your neighbor, it's just because it's a habit. I got to get back out of my system. All right. So bear with me tonight. So out <laughs> the ooh la laws. Yeah. Try to cut those out. So during the Second World War, German paratroopers invaded the island of Crete over by Greece, and when they landed, they were met by the islanders there. They had no weapons, nothing. All that they met them with were kitchen knives and hate size. The people of this island were fighting off the invaders with kitchen knives, so things weren't looking too good. But the consequences of the resistance were devastating. So this Alexander, he was just six years old, when this war started. His village was destroyed. He was imprisoned in a concentration camp. And when the war ended, he he became convinced that his people needed to let go of the hatred that this war had unleashed. So he founded the Institute for Peace at this place which embodied horrors, which this place that was a centralization for cruel, evil, wicked things. And one day at this institute, he was holding lectures he did a Q&A, and one of the questions was, what is the meaning of life? What a daunting question to be asked, right? You're in a lecture at your institute, and someone has the audacity to ask, what is the meaning of life? And instead of dismissing the question, he kindly smiled, and he started answering the question. He opened his wallet, took out a small round mirror, and held it up for everyone to see. He told how just as a small boy, he came from a very poor family. And one day he was exploring the island and he came across a motorcycle wreck. The motorcycles had belonged to the German soldiers. He saw mirror pieces just everywhere. So he tried to gather them up, put them back together again to have a really big, cool mirror. But the pieces didn't fit back together. So Alexander was innovative. He knew the pieces would be sharp. So he took the biggest piece he could find carved it down, made a smooth round circle, and he kept that with him. And he used it as a toy. 
you know how little boys are, use it as a magnifying glass or try to burn ants, you know, those random things little kids do, especially boys. And so he just kept that with him. And over time, it became to symbolize something extremely important. So Alexander said all this in his response to this question, and he finally ended it with this. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I don't know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, into the black places in the hearts of men, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of my life. And not only is that the meaning of Alexander's life, but it's the meaning of ours too. We are to mirror the glory of God so that others can just catch a glimpse of that glory. Somebody who embodied this so well in the Bible is Moses. Now, some of you may have studied your Bible pretty well, and you may know where I'm going with this. You may be thinking he uh, reflected God's glory a little too literally, but don't, don't tell your neighbor if they don't know. Don't spoil it. We'll get there. So we're going to turn to Exodus 33 and 8. Exodus 33 and 8. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. So we're going to do some background history here. I don't know if you guys are big nerds of history or big book studiers, but we're going to go back. If you're not a fan of history, if you don't like studying that, like me, just hang in there. I promise it's important to the whole point of this, okay? Trust me. So Exodus 33.8, let's look at kind of the context, what's going on. We've got the story of the Israelites. You guys have heard that name before. Israelites had already escaped Pharaoh, already escaped Egypt at this point, already crossed the Red Sea. They'd already eaten the miraculous manna off the ground. They'd already drank in the water that God magically made sweet, not magic, miraculous. And they'd already drank the water that sprung out of a rock. So they've seen a lot, a lot of demonstrations of God's glory and power. And so at this point, we're up to uh, Exodus 19 now. Moses ascends Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord. And so they had a special meeting place there. No one else was allowed to go up on the mount, just Moses to meet with the Lord. And there was lightning, there was thunder, there were clouds, there, were, there was fire, there was a trumpet blast. There's a lot going on. People were freaked out, a lot of things happening. And so now we're all the way into Exodus 2018. So at this point, pictured in your head, I like to imagine things. I'm a visual learner, so picture it in your head. You got a mountain. You got the big cloud sitting up top, so you can't see the top, but you can hear trumpets. You can hear thunder. You see lightning, chaos, right? But you know that's God. You know that's his power there, and he's meeting with Moses. So Exodus 20, 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings. They witnessed the lightning flashes. They heard the sound of the trumpet. They saw the mountain smoking from the fire. And when they saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. All right, so that's going to be important, so remember that one. They trembled and stood afar off. So after that, 
Moses has this chat with God, gets the Ten Commandments, makes his way down. Him and, him and God talk about a lot of other stuff, but we'll skip over that for today. Gets the Ten Commandments, and Moses is up on this mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. That is a long time. That, that's the VBS coming back out. I'm sorry, guys. And I'm a dramatic person, so just hang in there. <laughs> Thank you. So 40 days, 40 nights. And so the people sitting at the base of the mountain start looking at each other and like, guys, it's, a, it's been 25 days. He's still not back. Like, what's going on? Hey, hey, bud, it's been 39 days. Where is Mo? Like, what's, what's going on? To Mo- like, what's happening? And the people gave up on Moses, the Bible says. They just assumed he was dead. They knew he didn't bring food and water. And no one can survive without food and water for 40 days. So they said, Moses is dead. His God's fake. Even though we've seen him do all these great things, he's not real. And they started making their own God. They're melting down their gold. They build a giant statue of a golden calf. And they begin to worship this golden calf. And so... We're almost done with the history part. You guys still hanging in there? Okay. So Moses gets off the mountain because the Lord told him, hey, your people, they've lost their minds. They're rebelling. They're making a statue. They're, They're wilding out. You need to go get things under control. So Moses comes off the mountain. He's got the tablets, smashes the Ten Commandments out of anger. Makes me feel better that Moses lost his temper sometimes too. And so... Moses and whoever was on the Lord's side, they had to split the camp. They said, if, you, if you're on God's side, you go over here. If you're not on God's side, you go over here. People on God's side killed all the bad guys, all right? So a lot is going on, like just chaos on chaos on chaos. And then, so 3,000 people are now dead. So it's Moses and the people that were on God's side. That is it. And so all the people that were left... They reconsecrated themselves. They gave them back to the, themselves back to the Lord. You know, they saw the wicked people die, so they're like, we probably should, you know, get our act together too. Um, and so now we are finally in Exodus 33. We are caught up to what is going on. So Exodus 33, the Lord commands the Israelites, hey, you've been camped here for a while, but it's about time to go. We're going to Canaan. We're going to that land of milk and honey which sounds great, right? The promised land, finally, it's time to go. But the Lord says, as your punishment, because you all were wicked, you all were wilding out, I'm not going with you. I'm not leading you by fire. I'm not leading you with a cloud. You're on your own. And so the people are complaining. They're distraught. They recognize the importance of having God leading them, but they knew they messed up. They knew there were consequences for their own actions. So, Exodus 33, 7, I told you, we're getting there, we're getting there, guys, we're back to, we're almost back to 8. Verse 7, we see that Moses takes this tent, and at this point, there's no tabernacle, so God's glory, it's not established anywhere. Moses takes the tent, he takes it outside the camp, far from the camp, and sets up the tabernacle of meeting. And so the people went from seeing the Red Sea parted, 
They went from eating the miraculous food that the Lord provided. They went from drinking the miraculous water that sprung from a rock to being outside of his presence, to not seeing God, to not hearing from him. And they had no access to God anymore. And so they saw all these things and all it took was 40 days for them to abandon their God. It took 40 days for them to give up on their true hope because of their wickedness and because of their rebellion. 40 days to begin to melt down their big precious golds, their most valuable things, and they were willing to throw it all away just to have something tangible, just to have something that they could see, just to have something that they could see in front of them that this is the God we are serving. So now we find ourselves in verse 8. I'm going to read that one more time. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door, watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. So remember how we were reading uh, Exodus twenty eighteen. I told you to remember that the people were fearful, they trembled, all that stuff. So notice the contrast now in verse 8. They went from trembling, they went to fearing the glory of God. That now they're standing outside their tents, and they're watching Moses. And they watch Moses as he enters into that tent, and they're just hoping, maybe, maybe when Moses goes in, that tent door will just, it'll kind of stay open. Maybe that flap will just linger for a second, and maybe, maybe I'll just get a glimpse of that glory. Maybe I'll just get a glimpse of what we're missing out on now. Maybe I can just get a taste of that goodness, of that hope, of that life. And so they looked at that mountain And they were scared because they realized that their God had left them. Their God had said, you are wicked. This is your punishment. I can't be with wickedness. You consecrated yourself to me, but you made these choices. And so he was removed. And they realized now that Moses was their only hope. They realized that because of their actions, they were now desperate for God, a God that they didn't even have access to, a God that they couldn't talk to, a God they no longer saw, a God that they no longer heard. They were desperate for a glimpse of hope, for a glimpse of glory. And so the Bible says in that verse that they all rose and watched Moses walk to the tent. So I can imagine, imagine with me once again, humor me. He got all these tents set up, right? Said the tent of meeting where Moses met with the Lord was far away outside the camp. And so I imagine that they all arose. They're standing outside their tents. And how many of you are early risers? Do you like the morning? Okay, so you guys would have been the ones that were like the watchers. Because raise your hand if you're not a morning person. Me too, yeah. We would have been the ones snoozing, like... We'd be like, hey, you tell me when Moses starts moving around, and then I'll get up. But like, until you see him leave his tent, do not touch me. Do not wake me up. Let me sleep. And so you got your watchers, and they see Moses, you know, it's a tent. It's kind of fluid. You know, they'd see things start stirring, and then they'd see Moses leave his tent and start walking towards the tent of meeting. And I just imagine that the quiet camp got 
frantically urgent. They're shaking their partners. Hey, wake up, wake up. Moses is on the move. Kids, we got to get up. We got to get dressed. Moses is on the move. Today may be the day. Today may be the day that we finally get a glimpse of that glory. Today may be the day that we get to peek into that tent and we just get to see a tiny taste of that hope again. Today may be the day. And then they would stand there and watch. And when it says it's outside the camp, it's probably a far distance, probably a good little walk. So they're just waiting and waiting. And they watch Moses go in and nothing. They get up again the next day and they do it all over again and they watch and nothing. And days and days pass and they were absent from the glory of God. I'm sure they were giving up hope. I'm sure they began to look at themselves. They looked at their past mistakes and said, because of what we did, because of the mistakes of our family, we'll never see the glory of God. We'll never be worthy of his presence again. We'll never have him. We've lost him because we messed up. And the glory that was so frightening before, the glory that made them tremble was now the one thing that they wanted. It was the only thing that they desired. And it looked like they would never have it again. But one day, those early risers, you early risers, not me, but you early risers, Moses walked out of his tent. But instead of walking towards the tent, of meeting, the tabernacle of meeting. He was taking a different path today. What? Looking around, what, what is Moses doing? What, what's going on? And they saw Moses begin to walk towards the mount where he met with the Lord before. And I just imagine the people whispering to each other, do you, do you think, Randy, do you think he's going to go talk to God? Do you, do you think we're going to get to see his glory again? I can imagine they begin to wake up their family members. Hey, Moses is going back to the mount. Hey, something, something's changing. Something's looking different. That faith began to rise. That hope began to be restored. Did, did you see that Moses is going back? Did you, did you hear that? He, he's going back to the mount. And they waited. They saw Moses ascend. The cloud fell. They didn't know what was going on. They waited all day. The sun set. No, Moses. 25 days passed. No, Moses. 38 days passed. Hey, where do you, where do you think the, what's going on? Do you, do you think this is going to be like last time? Do you, what, what do we do? So they waited. Day 39, they begin to look at each other. What do we do, guys? He's, he's got to be dead, right? He's got to be gone. And I'm sure one of them spoke up probably a wise leader like our pastor, and said, guys, we just got to wait. We have to have hope because this is our last chance. He is the only hope we have. He is our only connection to God. We just have to hope and wait. And so finally, day 40 rolls around. Finally, the people are watching them out. They've kept their eye, and they finally see Moses begin to descend and make the journey down. And they finally see that he's come down, and he has two new tablets. And this strikes a memory in their head, and they say, hey, we messed up last time, but we've been waiting this time. We've had the hope this time. We're ready for you, Moses. We're ready to hear from the Lord. And so now we're at Exodus 34, 29. And it says, now it was so 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of testimony were in his hands when he came down, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, they behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. After a meeting with God on Mount Sinai, Moses literally reflected the glory, the light of God's glory. Being in God's presence changed Moses. He returned as a mirror of God's glory. The Israelites finally got to see the glory of God, not through a peak and a tent flap, but by their mediator, Moses. And just as Moses reflected God's glory, that same calling applies to you and me today. We may be that only glimpse of glory that someone gets to see. We may be that only light of hope that someone gets to see. So 2 Corinthians, one more verse here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So remember, Moses had veiled his face because the people were afraid. But here in 2 Corinthians, it says, We all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord living inside of us should be reflected on the outside so that others can learn of the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm going to tell a quick story, and I know it's 8 o'clock, but you could give Pastor about 10 more minutes, so I'm going to take my 10 minutes. So we're not live streaming, so I get to tell you this story. So a few years ago, my mom traveled to China. So some of you have met my mom. She's super cool. She gets to go on these really cool trips. Doesn't take me. It's fine. I'm not bitter. So she went to China, and she was preaching in some underground church services, meeting some great people, believers that are in the persecuted church, met with them, had services, saw amazing miracles. There was this man, he had a tumor the size of a grapefruit right here on his neck. And they began to pray. And she said the people there, like, because it's an underground church, like the next door neighbor could report them and they're all dead. And so, like, they'd pray, but it's just... Like these powerhouse moves like of God that we have here, nothing like that. So, I kid you not, guys, that tumor began to shrink to the size of a pea. And it began to travel down the size of his neck, and it just vanished. So people were getting healed left and right. People were getting filled with the Holy Ghost left and right. And so... God was showing his glory. He was showing out. And miracles still happen today, guys. They happen in China. They happen here in Prairieville. They happen here at Bethesda. The Lord's not done moving. And the best days are still to come. Amen? So one of the church members is a, is a man. And his mom is a very loyal patron of the Communist Party. And so his mom's kind of suspicious, kind of has her uh, gut feeling that, like, he, she's got a feeling that he's going to church, like something, something's going on. So one day, son and mom were on a moped together driving down the road. The son had just come from a church service, and his mom was with him, and they were just going home. And they hear, wee-woo, wee-woo, 
to see flashing lights, and a cop pulls him over. And so the son just came from church, you know, so his heart rate probably shot up a little bit, starting to get a little nervous. His mom's a communist, you know, like faithful to the party. And the cop says, what are you guys doing? Like, where are you coming from? Son just came from church. So he's like, oh, we're just traveling. You know, we're just trying to get home. And the police officer keeps asking him questions after questions, trying to figure out what they've been doing. And so finally, he just straight up asked them, have you guys been around, like, nuclear facilities or something? And the son was like, uh, no. Like, what are you talking about? No. And the police officer said, you are glowing like fireflies. Your faces are shining like there has to be something going on. And the son said, no, we're good. And the police officer just let him go. It was like, all right, have a, have a safe drive. Be careful. The Holy Ghost literally was shining on his face. And the most amazing thing happened when he got home with his mom, the communist patron. She looks at him and was like, that was the Holy Ghost, wasn't it? That was the Holy Ghost shining on you, wasn't it? And she prayed through to the Holy Ghost right there because the sun allowed the glory of God to shine through him and he reflected God's glory. And so this story is real and it may be bizarre, it may be extravagant, but it tells me that what we reflect matters. It tells me that maybe your face won't shine when you leave here tonight. Maybe it will. But what it tells me is that your holiness is reflected. Your compassion is reflected. Your love for others is reflected. And that attitude and that spirit is shining to the world around us. And it is up to us to not veil our faces like Moses, but to let that glory shine because it may be the only glimpse that someone ever sees. And when I was thinking about this, reflecting back on the Israelites, I realized that as they begin to melt down that gold, those Israelites look a lot like my cashier at Rouse's. They look a lot like the guy at Cane's that's going to give me my fried chicken later. The Israelites look a lot like my next door neighbor. They look a lot like your classmates you're about to see in a week and a half. These people were so desperate for God that they gave up their passions. They gave up their futures. They gave up their most valuable things just for a taste. And there are people all over this world right next door to you, right in the cubicle next to you that have given up their futures. They've given up their callings. They've given up their lives to find something that is tangible, to find that hope that we have, to find that glimpse of glory. And it is up to you and I to reflect that light. It is up to you and I to mirror the Lord so that they get that glimpse of glory. They get that taste of glory, that taste of heaven. And so Corinthians 4, 3 through 6 says that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. 
For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel is veiled to those that are lost. They are perishing. But God has commanded the light that shines in our heart to be reflected to those around us. We are the image of God to the world. We may be the only glimpse of glory that someone ever seems. And it seemed as though God's glory had been removed from the Israelites forever, that their mistakes, that the mistakes of their family had stripped them from God's presence, that they were deemed unworthy from being in God's presence. But the thing that they needed most, the thing that they needed most, that glimpse of glory they saw in Moses, could it be that the thing that your neighbor needs most that glimpse of glory, that glimpse of hope, that they'll see it in you. Is it possible that your coworker is so desperate for purpose and hope, and you may be that glimpse of light that they see, that glimpse of glory and hope they're searching for? And the people today are so desperate, just like the Israelites, they make their own idols. They begin to worship drugs. They begin to worship money and promiscuity. They will throw away their potential and family just to feel something. A false sense of purpose, a false sense of security and satisfaction. In a world that denies God, people are looking for something that will just give them meaning. And it is our responsibility to let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us and offer a glimpse of what joy looks like. Offer a glimpse of what hope and what love looks like and the fulfillment that comes from living a life Christ. It is up to us to show them the light, to reflect the glory of God, to show them the hope that exists when you repent and you're baptized and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you all will stand with me, I want us to take a moment and just look at ourselves, look at our hearts and do an inventory check. Take a moment and look, think back about your interactions today. Think about what you've been reflecting to those around you. Have you been reflecting God? Have you been reflecting anger or bitterness or hurt? Just take a moment, close your eyes and think about it. And what I want us to do is offer a prayer of repentance because even... If you strive to live for God, if you strive to reflect God's glory day by day, hour by hour, we still mess up. We still fall short sometimes. So we're going to offer a prayer of repentance to the Lord and then just ask him to forgive us for any time we veiled our face. Forgive us, Lord, for any time we fell short and we didn't share your glory with someone. Forgive me, Lord, for any time that I was too scared to tell someone about you. Forgive me, God, for any time I was too busy to tell someone about your hope and your salvation and the power that comes through you. Forgive me, Lord, for not talking to my neighbors. Forgive me, Lord, for not talking to my cashier. 
and help me to do better. Help me to be a reflection of you. Help me to be a light for you, God, that others may get a glimpse of that glory through me, God. That maybe my face won't literally shine, but they would be attracted to something, God, that they would notice the light inside of me and they would say, hey, there's something different about you. I need to know what that is. And so I want to open these altars to anybody who has that desire to reflect God's glory, anybody who wishes to be a light to the world around them, and ask God to give you favor wherever you go, but most importantly, that he'd give you a boldness and a sensitivity to be that light. He'd give you a boldness to reflect his image and to be that glory. God, we thank you, Lord, for every person here. God, thank you, Lord, for every person that is faithful to your kingdom. Lord, that who loves you and just strives to do good for you, Lord. I pray that you would search us, Lord. Give us a boldness. Give us a passion, Lord, to reflect your light. God, let us be a mediator. Let us, Lord, be that glimpse of glory just like Moses. You see the hurting people around us. You see the people that are starving for you, that want something tangible, that want something to give them hope. You see those people, and I pray that you would open our eyes to see them too, God. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.